Welcome to episode 9 of the Yinzer Sage podcast. I wanted to first talk about last week I had to put out two of the same episode because I put part of a song on the introduction uh, before the podcast and I didn't uh, know, like I do my podcast through Anchor and they have this thing where you can add part of a song to whatever podcast but when you do that that podcast can only be heard on spotify so i had to put out a second episode so it would go out to all the other uh feeds that are out there for uh you know itunes and uh cast box and there's a couple others but needless to say um unless people really want me to start doing a random song every episode i'm not going to do it because i'd rather try to get the podcast out to more people via uh you know the different uh feeds that are offered through anchor not just exclusively on spotify uh you know i at this point i'm not ever going to get you know asked by spotify to be an exclusive podcast so i'm not worried about that like if they want to pay me then yeah i'll be exclusive but you know that's the only way i'm going to do that but needless to say uh and starting next week i'm going to start trying to reincorporate some like news from neverwinter nights and like some news from the uh like tabletop uh role-playing games like this week i'm just going to bring up the fact that uh i read an article recently that they're bringing back ravenloft like the full ravenloft like all the lands of ravenloft you know barovia is going to be its own one and then there's a whole bunch of other ones with each one has its own dark lord and ah you know for those of us that are Ravenloft fans for second edition this is something that's going to be really cool because it's going to bring that to a whole new generation and that's what I'm kind of looking more forward to um but needless to say episode nine we're going to talk about the sources and influences on the development and themes and different things of Dungeons and Dragons you know um in the uh, one episode I did on Dungeons and Dragons Origins um as we talked about the there was a set of medieval miniature rules written by Jeff Perrin and then those were expanded upon by Gaiax um before he published it as Chainmail he had a uh, fantasy supplement that he um, added into that medieval miniature rules system that Jeffrey originally created. Um, then whenever uh, Dave Wesley went into the military in 1970, he, uh, his friend Dave Arnson began a medieval variation of uh, Wesley Bronstein's games where people controlled individuals instead of armies. Arnson used chainmail to resolve combat. As play progressed, Arnson added such things as character classes, experience points, level advancement, 
armor class and a number of other things. And then he, since he worked with guys previously on a product called Don't Give Up the Ship, um, he introduced Gax to his Blackmore game, and then they collaborated on developing the fantasy game that became Dungeons & Dragons with the final writing and preparation of the text being done by Gaiax. Um, and there's... Many of the D&D elements also appear in lots of hobbies of the mid to late 20th century. Character-based role-playing, for example, can be seen in historical reenactment and improv theater. You know, game world situations were being well-developed in wargaming. Fantasy milieu specifically designed for gaming can be seen in Glorantha's board games, among others. Ultimately, however, D&D represented a unique blending of all those elements. So needless to say, the theme of D&D was influenced by mythology, pulp fiction, and contemporary fantasy authors of the 1960s and 70s. The presence of halflings, elves, dwarves, half-elves, orcs, rangers, and the like often draw comparisons to the work of Tolkien. The resemblance was even closer before the threat of copyright action from Tolkien Enterprises prompted the name changes from of Hobbit to Halfling and to Trant and Balrog to Bowler. Um, Gax maintained that he was influenced very little by Lord of the Rings, stating he included these elements as a marketing move to draw on the popularity of the work. Uh, although in 2000, he acknowledged that Tolkien had a strong impact. Oh, excuse me. According to the original DM's Guide in Appendix N, Inspirational and Educational Reading, the most immediate influences were the works of Robert E. Howard, Edgar Rice Burroughs, A. Merritt, H. V. Lovecraft, Fritz Laber, L. Sprague de Camp, Fletcher Pratt, Roger Zelaney, and Michael Moorcock. Subsequently, Gary Gaiax listed the uh, major influences as Robert Howard, L. Sprague de Camp, Fletcher Pratt, Fritz Lieber, Paul Anderson, A. Merritt, and H.P. Lovecraft, with slightly lesser influence from Roger Zelaney, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Michael Moorcock, Philip Jose Farmer, and others. Monster spells and magic items used in the game have been inspired by hundreds of individual works, ranging from A.E. Van Gogh's Black Destroyer, a.k.a. the Displacer Beast, Lewis Carroll's Jabberwocky, uh, the Vorpal Sword from that, to the Book of Genesis, the clerical spell Blade Barrier, was inspired by the Flaming Swords, which turned every way at the Gates of Eden, and the popular, there's a spell, Sticks to Snakes, that's also based off of a biblical reference, um, and I didn't want to go through every possible spell so what i'm going to do is every week i'm going to try and get people to recommend one spell uh a spell a popular magical item like something that's named or uh like a creature and i'll do an origin on every episode of one of those three types of things and, you know, we'll do votes on the different Facebook pages and, you know, let the people who pick, you know, vote most is what gets it. But, uh, needless to say, I'm 
I also um, I'm to the point where I'm going to be starting to do uh, like an episode on a class and then an episode on race. I did a poll on the Facebook pages and so far the offers was do classes uh, or then or do races and then the other option the third one was to alternate between like class one week race one week and then keep doing that um, and that's the one that everybody pretty much picked but uh, needless to say I'm gonna talk about some of the classes just origins where they got the ideas and where they might have first appeared um, and then like in a later episode I will go through and do an episode on each one of these classes um, and then I might have to look and do episodes on you know each of the other classes that are either well I'm not even touching prestige classes yet um, because those aren't in fifth but they are from three and three five um, and there's a lot of ones that either were classes before or became classes after or their you know paths are different there's they've shown up in systems since then you know in different ways some of them and I want to try and you know talk about some of those you know cuz like I know uh, in the one fifth edition book they have samurai but it's a path of a fighter and in three three five there was actually classes for samurai but needless to say um, these are the ones that I managed to find and get you know info on easiest but uh, assassin uh, the assassin appeared in the base as a base class and supplement to Blackmore for original D&D in first edition AD&D and as a prestige class in third edition. They were loosely based on stereotypes of real world assassins and on the Islamic assassins that originated during the Crusades. Um, Barbarian? Barbarian officially appeared as a class first in Dragon and then in AD&D's Unearthed Arcana. The class was heavily inspired by Howard's Conan the Barbarian of whom Gaius professed to being a fan since 1950. Um, like, Conan was very suspicious of magic. The Barbarian was, and D&D was limited to what magic items it could use until higher levels. Um, and they, it was like they had really good leaping abilities and they were good climbers. Um, the 3.5 version retained some of them, but they got rid of the whole hatred of magic. <coughs> Excuse me. They got a Berserker Fury was incorporated as the Rage ability, but it's not as psychotic as it used to be. Um, the 3-5 Barbarian remained close to the original, however, um, possessing Trap Sense and Uncanny Dodge abilities similar to Conan's Keen Eye for Trouble. Um, in 4th edition, Barbarian's Rage abilities were overtly magical. Um, and I know in 5th edition there are paths that Barbarians can take, or tribes or whatever, 
I can't remember what they're called specifically, but it's I know there's things they can take to make their rage ability like almost a supernatural thing, but it doesn't always have to be that. Um, there are other options. Alright, so the next one's Bard. The Bard made its earliest appearance in the Strategic Review, February number 6, uh, February 1976, predating AD&D, which states that the class was inspired by stories of the Celtic Bard, a musician and keeper of ritual lore related to Druidic tradition. The original Bard was a multi-class fighter thief Druid. Later editions diverged from this inspiration, making him uh, sort of a Scoundrel, minster, and enchanter with a knowledge of legends. The next one is Cleric. Cleric is largely inspired by medieval Knights Templar. Like the Templars described in White's The Once and Future King, clerics in D&D were forbidden edged weapons by religious vows. Their spellcasting ability parallel the miracles of saints, but bear little resemblance to the folklore of the fighting priest. A D&D 2nd Edition introduced the concept of specialty priests, of which the druid is an example, who had different spell capabilities and different weapon choices. Clerics in 3-5 are drawn to maces and staves, primarily by a lack of proficiency with martial weapons, and to a lesser degree by Aditi's favored weapon. The warhammer, typically presented as a small sledge rather than the historical pick-like weapon, is another iconic cleric weapon wielded by dwarven clerics in 3-5, with more than a passing resemblance to the Hammer of Thor, Mjolnir. Uh, Druids. Druids are inspired by the namesake Celtic priests in pre-Roman times and are divine caster who reveres nature. They possess super, supernatural powers, in particular the ability to change an animal form and don't wear metal armor. Fighters is a very generic category of historical, mythological, and fantastical warriors mercenary knights and bandits. Monk was based on the Asian martial arts tradition. Many of their abilities are described to Sifus and Zen masters. The Paladin is named after the legendary Holy Knight champions of Charlemagne. Uh, Ranger was largely inspired by the character of Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings. Notably, on the introduction of the Ranger in the Strategic Review, the Ranger class was exceptionally proficient with scrying, a trait derived from Aragorn's ancestral right to the palantry. Later versions reimagined the class as a warrior with a mystical connection to nature and animal, animal empathy abilities. Uh, rogue, although the daring rogue thief or trickster character is a staple of human legends, in his article, Jack Vance in the D&D Game, Gary Gygax stresses the influence that Vance's cudgel and also Zelani's Shadowjack had on the Thief class. Uh, sorcerer. The Sorcerer was primarily introduced as a substitute spellcaster for those that did not like the wizard magic system. The legends of magic users born with inborn magic can be traced back to stereotypes such as Merlin. Wizards. Wizards memorize their spells and then forget them when cast in the fashion of magicians from Jack Vance's Dying Earth series of novels. <clears throat> and now I'm going to talk about races. <clears throat> Alright, dwarves. Dwarves come from Scandinavian and Teutonic mythology. Um, with some inspiration from Lord of the Rings. 
Tolkien stores were already less sorcerous and fed on their legendary Adam Glaisaxon forebears. Um, elves in D&D are similar to legends of fairies, have infinity for wild places, ancient magic, grace, benevolence, and human appearance. Like Tolkien's elves, the second edition of D&D had elves that did not die of old age. Instead, they migrated to another land. Similar to the way Tolkien's elves all eventually felt the urge for the undying lands. Gary Gygax claimed D&D elves draw very little from Tolkien. Uh, elves in D&D are immune to paralysis as a holdover from a game adjustment in Chainmail. <coughs> I looked into that. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Oh, went down the wrong pipe. Needless to say, <coughs> um, as far as immunity to uh, paralysis for elves, they figured that came from a game balance issue in the original chainmail rules which was mostly medieval warfare, but there was a fantasy supplement. Alright, well, masses of low-cost undead troops were beating all the high-cost elf troops, so the elves are immune to paralysis emerged as a balancing factor. Um, and then that just transferred over into D&D. &D. So, uh, next one is gnomes. Gnomes come from all kinds of mythology. They are traditionally a small and plump race of jolly men who had beards and pointy caps. The early editions of D&D reflected this stereotype, but later versions began to, using a variant of men that was slightly taller and thinner, with slanted eyes and a talent for machinery. <coughs> ah, excuse me. Halflings. In earlier editions of D&D, halflings are strongly inspired by Tolkien's hobbits, even referred to by that word in the earliest edition. Being diminutive, chubby, fur-footed home bodies with a penchant for dwelling in hollowed-out hillsides and a racial talent for burglary. TSR stopped using the word hobbit after the threat of lawsuit from holders of Tolkien's intellectual rights. The character was then referred to as halflings, a word Tolkien also used for hobbits, but which is not trademarked, though they remained otherwise as described before. Upon the release of 3rd edition D&D, Halflings were significantly reimagined, becoming slick tristers, incorporated some elements of the Dragonland series kenders, and colorful stereotypes of gypsies. Half-orcs are loosely based on Tolkien's works, which described a crossbreed race of men that had orcish blood. Half-elves uh, half in D&D are a large group in classic mythology, and in Tolkien, there were only a small group of them, most notably Elrond, who have both elf and human blood. In D&D, the combination allows this character to gain abilities and use items of both races. Now, I'm going to go over a bunch of creatures that uh, the origins of. <clears throat> the Beholder was conceived by Terry Kuntz, the brother of early D&D designer Robert Kuntz. The Beholder's xenophobia towards other races of Beholders was added after Jim Holloway submitted multiple designs for the Beholder's spelljamming ship, and Jeff Grubb decided to keep them all and use xenophobia to explain the differences in design style. Uh, Centaur comes from Greek mythology. 
Chemra comes from Greek mythology. The original could spit or glance with lightning and poison. The D&D version, having a dragon head, could breathe fire. The third edition could have the head of any chromatic dragon. A blue dragon uh, Chimra would spit lightning like a classic Chimra. Uh, Dijin, those come from Arabic fo folklore. In D&D, it's a type of genie. Uh, a dryad is a demigod in Greek myth. A type of goddess or nymph associated with nature. Ifrit, a type of genie in D&D, comes from Arabic folklore. They live in the city of Brass. Uh, Etten is a species of giant in English and Irish folklore. Golem comes from Jewish folklore and refers to a man of clay named Joseph, created by a community as a protector. Hobgoblin. In legend, a hobgoblin is a type of sprite or brownie. In D&D, it's a larger, particularly violent variety of goblin. Tolkien had used the term hobgoblin for a large sort of goblin in The Hobbit, but later realized that the folklore hobgoblins were actually the smaller sort. Medusa is named after a creature in mythology with the same appearance and powers. Mind Flayers are original to D&D, but they were inspired by the cover of Brian Limley's novel, The Burrowers Beneath. Uh, Minotaur is a unique creature in Greek mythology. Nymphs come from Greek mythology, which they exhibit their blinding beauty. Uh, orcs come from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, where they're described as bestial, brutal, evil humanoids. The term orc before Tolkien meant a monster, possibly an ogre, but usually referred to as a type of sea monster. Uh, Simurg is a type of Persian creature from Persian mythology. Tarasque was a legendary monster in the French region of Tarascon. According to tradition, the monster was tamed by Saint Martha. Uh, Trents are based on Ents from Tolkien's work. They were, as I mentioned before, they were renamed after the lawsuit that prompted the switch from Hobbit to Halfling. Uh, trolls come from Northern European folklore. The version was D&D was inspired by a regenerating troll that appeared in Paul Anderson's Three Hearts and Three Lions. Vampires appear in ancient Greek and medieval myth. D&D vampires are their ancestry to myth and Bram Stoker's Dracula. The White is a deadly undead creature inspired by legends of similar ghostly entries. Uh, wyverns appear as a heraldic figure. Um, ion stones come from Dying Earth. Uh, the title of Jack's Vances with a little alteration. Alignment. D&D draws several source and as a character linchpin allows players to faithfully roleplay their character's state of mind. Um, the alignment initially was inspired from the fantasy stories of Michael Moorcock and Paul Anderson. Um, those That's where Gaiax got the inspiration for alignment. Um, uh, character class, as I said, was something that was originally created by uh, Dave Arnson, and, and he kind of came up with that and put those into the game. Um, damn it. Uh, cursed weapons. 
characters in D&D that acquire cursed weapons can be magically compelled to not want to get rid of them, despite the item having very poor, harmful capabilities and malicious dangerous side effects, such as body odor, acne, deafness, uh, alignment change, class change, even sex change. This was drawn from the One Ring in Tolkien's Lord of Rings novel and Stormbringer from Michael Moorcock's novels of Elric. Um, but pretty much, like I said, you know, a lot of the, like your AC and your hit points and stuff like that all kind of came out from like Dave Arnson and Chainmail. Like, he went through and just made edits and then Gaiax picked it up from after there. But yeah, I know it's probably not as long of an episode as I normally do. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and put a poll up here and see what type of class you, or race you guys want me to start with. Uh, you know, well, yeah, this is definitely a shorter episode. But yeah, I'll put a poll up uh, on the Facebook pages to see... Uh, you know, what race you guys want me to start with, or, uh, and then I'll do one for the uh, class for the next week, but, uh, if you have any bit of news you want to get onto the podcast, uh, please visit the Number One Nights Community News Podcast group on Facebook, uh, or visit the Number One Nights community news page or community page uh, on Facebook as well. That's a group, um, you know. And on the just the regular community page, we have a three question. Uh, we need people to answer when they go to join. Um, if you don't answer the questions, we don't accept the membership. Um, that's one way we eliminate spammers and. I mean, it's been very effective to this point, so, you know, we're not going to change that policy because I, in two other Neverwinter groups that I moderate and or admin in, like, we've had the one get just bombarded with spam mail or spam messages, like, and they'll, they've been there for, like, months just kind of hanging out, so we're finding out, like, all these extra accounts that we all accepted like months ago um, are all of a sudden all spammers. So every day we're banning somebody different, you know, um, to avoid that on the other group, we have the three questions thing, but most people are pretty cool with it. They're pretty easy. I believe one of them is when did you start playing Neverwinter Nights? Um, another question is where did you hear about the group? And I think the other question is, do you know, understand that this group is about the series of uh, games from originally Bioware, now under the work of Beamdog, that, and it's not uh, the MMO uh, number winner that's out there. We are not, we don't support it. We don't, we prefer to not post about it. Um, just our experience, we've had some bad ones with it, and. We just prefer to not, you know, promote that. But there's other groups out there that do promote it. So, you know, more power to them. But needless to say, I'm going to wrap this up and call it a week. And I will put the poll up tonight 
and hopefully here in the next couple days I'll be able to figure out roughly what next week's topic is going to be and we'll be able to go from there and like I said I'm going to start incorporating little you know new, whatever news I can start getting uh, for both Neverwinter and for uh, D&D or just tabletop gaming um, in general uh, so I'm going to also like I said I, I'm open to do uh, any type of like Neverwinter Nights server uh, reviews as long as you write a constructive review I'll read it uh, for the podcast um, I just personally don't want to do any reviews because I don't want people to say I have biases so that way if I don't actually do the review it's not my words you know what I mean I I'd rather remain neutral in the situation so and that way you know I'm not blackballed by anybody in particular because someone felt that I reviewed their thing as a negative way you know if somebody else did the review and I just read it that you know I'm just relaying it you know um, but anybody can you know if you they get a review and they would like to respond to it I'm more than welcome to you know definitely do an interview or do something to where we you know allow them a response you know I'm all about you know communication and helping people grow so and that's something that has helped our community, you know, stay together for such a long time. You know, we're only at like 1,500 members, but, you know, it's a pretty close-knit group that we're all pretty cool with each other. Like, we've been weeding out some of the ones that are that couldn't play well with others. So, you know, we've gotten down to a group of people that all pretty much... We have different ideas, but we can agree that, you know, we don't need to be mean or uncivil to discuss stuff. We can all be, you know, level-headed and, you know, have conversations about our different opinions, and everybody can benefit from it, you know. But with that said, I'm going to go ahead and call this a wrap. Uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, hopefully... Uh, I don't know when the next episode, what day I'll be putting it out, but needless to say, uh, it'll probably be next Monday again. So I'll, I'll keep your eye on the uh, Never Wonder Nights Community News podcast page on Facebook. That That's where I make the majority of my posts about the podcast. So, Or you could always go directly to the Ends of Sage podcast page on Facebook. That's where another bulk of my posts go um, concerning the podcast. So, But needless to say, thank you all for listening. Uh, well, let's all make sure the dice fall as they may. And uh, keep on gaming, people. Peace out.